You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 21st of March 2020 on Monocle 24. Hello, this is Monocle's House View. Now on the show ahead. Today I can announce that for the first time in our history, the government is going to step in and help to pay people's wages. We're setting up a new coronavirus job retention scheme. Any employer in the country, small or large, charitable or non-profit, will be eligible for the scheme. Well, that's Britain's response. We look at different governments' reaction to the coronavirus outbreak. Has enough been done to support businesses, large and small? We'll also look ahead to the end of the epidemic. What will the first signs of recovery look like? Plus, the lessons we've learned from the COVID-19 outbreak so far. And after what may be months of working from home in pyjamas, will we end up questioning the need for offices? That's all coming up with me, Georgina Godwin and Tyler Brule here on Monocle's House View. It's been a week like never before. I've challenged myself not to use the word unprecedented, but it's very, very difficult. Joining me to look back at the past seven days and what the global coronavirus outbreak means in the long term is Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule. Good morning to you, Tyler. Good morning, Georgina. Uh, You join us from Zurich, and I wonder what the mood is like on the streets there. It's very quiet, I understand. There's really been a shift. We had a press conference. The Federal Council uh, here in Switzerland uh, brought four key members uh, to the podium uh, yesterday at uh, about uh, five o'clock. And uh, and they really appealed to the country and said, look at... They didn't, there wasn't a threat so much, but they said, you know, lockdown is not desirable. We don't believe that this has, yeah, obviously the right political overtones. And, and actually, we don't really believe that it fully, fully works. What does work is social distancing. You cannot and you can no longer uh, gather in groups of more than five people. Many cantons have closed down uh, big parks, which are maybe a little bit confined. Uh, too many people were gathering in. And then also we saw the announcement, which was significant yesterday, of a 30 billion Swiss franc uh, aid package. And that was also supplemented by a lot of actions by the uh, by the cantons um, as well. Uh, so it was um, it was a bit of a dramatic day. I think it gave people um, maybe a moment to take a bit of a deep breath, to take stock, Georgina. Um, and I think many were saying, and, and I know we'll get to this topic as well, was enough being done for business soon enough? And I think this 30 million package, and I think they, they really went as far to say, we're talking about the whole country here. Everyone's in it together. And maybe where there's question marks in the UK, UK right now, they said this is also for uh, people who are doing internships. This is also uh, for people who are, are of course, apprentices. And this country has a huge apprentice program. So everyone held a little bit more covered. Maybe this is also a Saturday morning. Everyone's just having a bit of a lie-in as well. Mm. Well, let's bring in our guests to, to talk about this. So we're joined by Quentin Peel, who's a former Berlin correspondent for the Financial Times, and also Monocle's editor, Andrew Tuck. Good morning to you both. Thank you for, for coming on on this Saturday. Today morning. Um, perhaps, Quentin, we could start with you. The, the British government, as Tyler says, announced last night that it would pay up to 80% of workers' wages if needed. Do you think that enough's been done to support businesses, large and small, not only here in the UK, but internationally? Well, uh, it's 
it's a huge program that they announced yesterday, but there's already one great hole in it. They've done nothing for the self-employed. There are five million people in Britain uh, who are self-employed, painters and decorators, carpenters, uh, all sorts of service people. Um, they uh, pay themselves and their income has suddenly stopped. So they're going to have to find some way of looking after them. And then if you look at the other end, uh, I see that um, the Financial Times has a big front page story today about uh, considering a massive program of share buying to support airlines. Um, because airlines are simply going to have no income coming in. And the idea that loans can work with companies like this, I think is, is simply not going to run. They've got no income to service the loans. So it's got to be something more than that. So I think that with every passing day, we are actually going to move into new territory. And eventually, maybe sooner rather than later, i.e. next week, we're going to start helicoptering money to people as well. Uh, Andrew, what's your take on this? Well, w what a week. It's, it's impossible to kind of imagine that, you know, it was only at the beginning of this week that we said to staff, you, you need to work from home. We, we got people out as fast as we could at the beginning of the week. What has happened is, is it feels that that was months ago, how many things have intervened in our personal lives, in our company lives, and in the lives of our country since then. It's been an, an incredible, incredible week. And my feeling is I, I think that the, the difficulty for everybody is that the, the, the messages coming from governments, coming from the Chancellor, coming from Boris Johnson, are so confused, you know, that people need to put in place plans. And so we now have from the, the Chancellor this idea that this money will be available to cover people's salaries for the next 12 weeks. But then you hear all of the health officials saying that, well, that will probably be the peak of the crisis. And that, in fact, this is going to rattle on for six months as a, as a real medical emergency. And then yesterday, these papers that were going around here in the UK saying that, yeah, but even after six months, you'll need another six months of social distancing to control the return of the virus. So that they would you know, allow some, maybe some schools to open, then they'd close them again. It'd be a bit on stop start to control the virus. So I think that after a week of crazy planning for everybody in their personal lives and, as I said, in their company lives, at the weekend, everyone's kind of taking stock. We're thinking, OK, it sounds pretty good, but is this really going to get through a year or six months? Because it's only going to take us to the peak of the emergency. And that's, and that's my concern about this. Mm. I mean, Tyler, you were talking about the measures that Switzerland has introduced. Do you think that that's enough? I think there has to be a balance. And this is, of course, uh, many of the papers all over Europe are, are, of course, filled with the story right now. Will Monsieur Macron have to, of course, uh, extend his heavy lockdown? I mean, Andrew's been talking about it all week. Uh, you know, what does what does Italy do? You start at, at this level. And of course, it's been very severe as it is in Spain. What happens then when you say to people, and, and there is an expectation management element here, that, in fact, uh, this is going to go on for another one month of, of lockdown. So I think that what's, what they've tried to do here in Switzerland is to is to hit this balance. Stores, bakeries, wine delivery is, is all working, very important, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, the flip side to, to all of that 
is that they also realize there's a, and there's a lot of discussion well just about mental health um, and and that we're going to see a lot of suicides and we're certainly going to see a lot of domestic violence and many other things that happen when you are cooped up uh, you know with your family or of course if you're alone uh, in in a small apartment and uh, and and you can only go at your balcony so what we've seen here this morning to, to your question at the start of this I think people are really paying attention to this two meter rule in Switzerland so they're trying to enforce if you're anywhere near uh, people who are not part of your immediate family, you have to be two meters apart and no gatherings of more than five people. And it really feels uh, like certainly the city is paying attention to that this morning here. Mm, yeah, I was woken in the night by the sounds of helicopters and what sounded like military aircraft. It went on for a very long time. It, it, it felt very, very chilling. And as I looked out the window, I realized that it would not have surprised me if I'd seen aliens in my back garden. We've really <laughs> got to that point, though, haven't we? It's just We do not know what's going to happen next. Oh, it's the funny part of Hampstead, you live in maybe it could, it could be I don't know. I'm not so sure but you know on that I mean you talk about mobilization just very quickly we've seen the call up of, of 8,000 uh, not just uh, Swiss military but also civil defense um, in the country but I thought where you were going with this and this was a topic that um, came up I was with um, someone in the banking industry and someone uh, very highly placed within uh, the medical community here in Switzerland and we were we, we started to reflect on the gun sales in the United States um, and of course we've heard about you know a little, not so much looting, but obviously a lot of theft going on in grocery stores, etc. in the UK, US. There's a big civil unrest element to all of this as well. Um, if you've been cooped up for two months, if you start to see that the shelves are properly empty in grocery stores, it's going to go beyond panic. Uh, and, and that is something which, of course, uh, you know, governments, that there has to be planning scenarios for this as well. I mean, we can remember what happened in London just because of, of course, some legal issues that, you know, went a little bit pear-shaped some years ago. And, and what happened in the city then? And that was not impacting, you know, nearly the number of people. In a, in a way, everybody like this will. Mm-hmm. Andrew, do you think there'll be social unrest? Well, again, just looking at the, the, the reports being done for central government here, they, they think that at the moment the civil unrest um, in, in the UK is unlikely unless the people feel the government is losing control. So if, if at the moment we have a, a government who's pushing the, the military and the police and all of the, 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 the key services forward and front and centre, and it, it seems to be kind of working, and as long as that's happening, and as long as all these, these payment systems go into place, and I think that we should be okay. But it's interesting, you know, we, we were, I was... We, I, have, I have had to go into the office this week to you know, do two, two or three things. I was seeing my colleague about what professions, you know, strange professions would be suffering at the moment. And pickpockets, we decided, would be having a tough time because there's just, <laughs> there, is, there is no one around to pickpocket. So I imagine all of your kind of, you know, the, in London we have this plague of people who snatch your mobile phone. Well, there's no one to snatch a mobile phone off at the moment. So I imagine all of those um, criminals are, are learning digital skills at the moment and uh, looking to defraud people online instead. <laughs> can, I, can I just say that Andrew's being incredibly modest here. He said he went into the office to do two or three things this week. I would say that was like about two or three things per second. And I hope, you know, Georgina, of course, the intro said that, you know, uh, we'll all be working in pajamas. Andrew, I hope, I hope you're in your pajamas. Uh, it presents, of course, a nice picture for all of our listeners this morning. But, but goodness, do, do you deserve it? Um, but you know, that the thing is, I was thinking about this and I thought, it's so important to have some kind of routine if we are all at home. You know, if you do just collapse into the elasticated wastes, at the end of this, you'll find you can't get your trousers on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's a very serious question. I am starting my day with a regular bout of exercises, I may say, to try and keep my joints <laughs> from collapsing. But we can, I think, still at least go for a walk in the park. Um, uh, but uh, nonetheless, the gyms are closed and everything else. So uh, there's somebody jogging past my window, literally, as I speak. Uh, so the, 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 we can do it. But uh, we, are we going to have the good food to do it with, too? If we're running out of fresh food and all living off uh, tins and pasta, uh, maybe our diet will go all over the place. I, I, let me just come back, though, for, for a moment to Tyler's thought about social unrest. They've got to get this panic buying under control in the supermarkets, because mm. that, I think, is, if you like, that's a really tense front line where people are starting to panic about, my God, can we eat? The truth is, of course, there's enough food out there. Uh, so I think they've just got to get that under control so that those who need it most, like the health workers in the front line, can actually, you know, finish their shifts and actually get something to eat. So that's very important. And is that down to leadership? I mean, Andrew, are we looking, are we hearing enough from Boris Johnson uh, and the government saying just stop it well here in the uk the, the, the interesting thing is that the supermarkets have all kind of joined together and that they are they are working to you know stock all of their stores from often from the, the same depots that they're sharing infrastructure and some of that will i think ease the situation it's still a strange thing is that people you know that the world of costco has hundreds of people lined up outside their stores apparently at the moment but here in central london where i am if you go to some of the, the smaller corner stores, you know, I went last night to buy some milk and that tiny corner store has got pasta on the shelf. So I think that people are kind of flocking to these huge supermarkets, imagining that's the only place they can get food. Where actually at a local level, that, that there is more food. And also what's interesting here in London, we've had quite a lot of small restaurants which are converting into being fruit and veg stalls or into being food shops because they need to keep going and they want their thing for their staff to do. So they're still buying in the stock that they would have cooked up and sold, but now selling it as provision. So I think they will see more ad hoc ways of getting food to people as well. But just quickly on that, you say this, you know, the social distancing thing is great, but I can go to the supermarket this morning, which is open, and be with hundreds of people milling around buying my groceries. There's nothing stopping me doing that. And as Quentin says, you know, I've got a dog. I'm going to the park this morning. I hear that the parks are just rammed with people running, trying to get fit, trying to get some fresh air. So, again, it will it'll be intriguing to see whether in a week or two we'll hear from Boris Johnson again saying, come on, guys, you're not doing enough in this wonderful weather to stay in your apartments. We're going to go to more of a French-style lockdown. So that, that's the other thing about this. As Tyler said, it's like, does it work? Maybe, but unless you, you, either you do it or you don't. And so here, we're still going to have places where people congregate. Mm, well, and it, sorry, Georgina, I was just going to say, I need to give a little bit of a snapshot from here, because if you go to the, the two big chains in Switzerland, Migros and Cope, they already have uh, the, so when you go to line up at checkout, uh, everything is, well, first they're metering people going into the stores. So um, it, it, every every customer needs 10 square, uh, 10 square meters. Uh, so that is, and there's someone checking people in and checking people out as they go. And then they've got the floor, of course, all taped out. So no one is sort of crowding at, at checkout. Um, and, and the other amazing thing, and this is, I don't, know, I don't know how this happened virtually overnight, but they've created very elaborate perspex sneeze guards 
in front of all of the people at checkout to to protect them, uh, which is which is quite remarkable. And I was at a, a butcher shop yesterday that uh, that we quite like. I couldn't even figure out how you could do this overnight, that there was a special little unit, of course, to, to type in, of course, your pin code, and there was a little slot for the food to come out, and, and someone was in this complete, not quite hermetically sealed. But again, a little bit, of course, um, you know, I always say Switzerland is, is just has been waiting for half a century, if not longer, for a moment like this to, to put many of its uh, various efforts uh, and, and contingency plans into effect. But here, I think they're doing a very good job um, you don't get that sense uh, when you're uh, on the town or when you do go to buy groceries uh, that, uh, yeah, that, that there's, in a way, creating these bottlenecks. Um, but I, the other point I wanted to come back to, and Andrew, I'm sorry if I made you panic last night because Georgina and Quentin, I sent Andrew a note last night. The gentleman from the medical community who we were talking to yesterday was also t- talking about uh, someone um, in his family who works for one of the states um, in Germany. And, and one of the big questions is, is supply chain and supply chain of food. And Quentin, you mentioned fresh food. And, and he really, you know, via his family member, said we are confronting a situation uh, you know, because what look at we have to look at where's the where's the bulk of the fresh food coming from in Europe it's coming from Spain and and Italy now if you, it's not just supply chains but of course you know all the way down to you know people picking and packing etc you know, if that starts to and again I don't want to go back to social and civil unrest but if you know if that starts to unravel ever so slightly um, I think this does present uh, a, a a huge issue I um, mean you know, even if it starts to trickle, you know, if we start to see, you know, a reduction by five, seven, ten percent, it's enormous for the entire continent. Absolutely. I mean, Quentin, uh, Angela Merkel uh, gave her first televised address to the nation since her annual New Year's speech. She called for every person in the country to join the effort to tackle uh, the the epidemic. How is is she addressing all of this supply chain problem and and the, the hoarding issue? Well, I think at the moment, one, by going out and making this rather formal and very serious address to the nation, I think she's got the right mood. And I think we've seen that from Macron. We've seen that in the remarkable address that Leo Varadkar gave in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day, which has gone sort of viral around the world. Um, We've not seen that in Britain, I may say, of course, from from Boris Johnson, who seems to give us sound bites, but not the sort of uh, look you in the eye address. And I think that may be the bit the same with Donald Trump. Mm. So um, that's one thing. Sorry, come back to what was your what was the question that you... Uh, uh, about that you Germany and, and supply chains. I yeah. mean, as Tyler says, there is an issue about who's going to pick it. Where are the yep. containers in the right places in the world? Can, can this work? all of those things are a real challenge. And, and, and uh, Tyler makes exactly the point that uh, our supply chains are very long and rather complicated. We're going to... Now, Germany has always been a bit more inclined to buy local, shop local only go for fruit and veg in season, uh, unlike, I think, United Kingdom, which, you know, is flying in uh, beans from Kenya and avocados from Peru. Um, so it may not be quite so complicated. The other thing the Germans seem to be getting right is the testing for 
uh, the coronavirus, which they've been much more intensive in Germany, as a result of which it looks like the actual death toll in Germany is much lower than in other European countries. And whereas in the United Kingdom, I fear, they haven't been testing anything like to the same extent, and it looks as if our death toll is rising very fast. Mm. I mean, Andrew, that, that is a, a definite issue, isn't it? Well, the, the, I guess, it, and this is an interesting point, bring Tyler back in in a minute as well, because we've been, even this morning, exchanging some stories. Is what do these numbers mean? Because here in the UK, this lack of testing, we, we, we just don't know how many people have got it. And, the, and here, I think what they're hoping is that it will spread quite quickly. Lots of young people will recover. And in the coming months, they'll have this viral test. So they'll be going around and say, look, you've already had it once this season. It's unlikely you'll get it again. You can go back to work, and especially for younger people who may have been uh, asymptomatic with it. So that's, I, I think, that's the game they're playing here. But in Japan, there seems to be very, very low numbers. But is that just because they're not testing enough people? China, you know, it's back to kind of zero local uh, number of cases being um, uh, uh, notified in the last couple of days. Again, they, they say they have quite a large number of imported cases. But how do we know that? No one really trusted those figures in the beginning. So I think everybody's skeptical about each other's uh, figures. But I think that the, the other concerning thing, and, and this, is, this comes back to the control thing again, is when you look at the Italian numbers, the dream was that after two or three weeks, they would be having you know, a big impact social distancing on the, on the total numbers, but they're just going up. So even now, we don't understand how that, that distancing thing is going to work. It doesn't look as though it's effective in a, within a three-week period. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler, I wonder how much of what's going on in Italy is to do with the fact that the generations mix so much more than they would, for instance, in somewhere like Japan. Uh, that's, of course, a big issue. And um, I was speaking to uh, another doctor um, based in Bern earlier in the week, and he said, yeah, there, there, is, there is definitely a social component um, to this, and, and we have touched upon this. And now it's really it's being you know, reported in the likes of the NZZ here, etc. That, that notion of you know, when you, you have a sniffle, you have a dry cough, uh, that you go and see Mama and Nona um, is, has really, that's happened. I mean, that has sadly come to roost, uh, that you, know, you, you might have been working, uh, yeah, maybe down in Bologna and, um, and granny was living up in Bergamo and she invited you around for a cozy Sunday dinner. And, and now look what's happened. Um, and so there is definitely a social component to it. But I think Quentin also raises an interesting point about this buying local and, 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 and how, you know, how we function and work within European communities. And, and, and this is another topic that came up yesterday. There's a huge, of course, as we know, there's a huge Chinese manufacturing component in Italy, unlike anywhere else uh, with, within the EU. Um, you have, you know, almost in, entire villages and certainly uh, stitched up, literally stitched up supply chains uh, of Italian-owned factories staffed by, uh, Italian, uh, sorry, Chinese-owned factories in Italy, uh, fully staffed by Chinese um, as well. So also, I, you know, it's very clear um, that also, you know, Italy got this, you know, in a much, much bigger way um, than, than, than anywhere else. And, and part of it have to, has to do with, of course, yeah, that channel that existed of, of Chinese coming in and outbound um, into, into Italy without anyone really paying attention um, early early enough. Mm. I wonder then if that will ever go back to, to what it was. I mean, Quentin, this outbreak obviously limits our freedoms to move and, and work for the moment. Will there be much longer term changes? 
I think we are going to be questioning quite a lot of the ways in which we, we've been living. Will we automatically assume that you get that annual holiday or the two annual holidays and you fly off to a, a far part of the world? One, our airlines are going to be struggling to get through this. What about all those cruise holidays? I, I, I think people will be hesitating a long time before they say, oh, I'll sign up to be cooped up on a cruise liner for the next three weeks and suddenly discover that it's become an awful place to catch a nasty disease. So I think those sort of things, like the travel, will be questioned. Um, I wonder what else will... I think this is really going to bring home to people uh, coming as it does so much at the same time of the explosion of the debate about climate change, coming together, these two things, not necessarily connected, but they're going to make people suddenly say, we've got to change the way we live. And I think it's going to bring at least to some extent the degree of globalization to a bit of a shuddering halt. Uh, and a lot of innovation, Tyler. That for sure. And I think also, you know, Quentin, you raise an interesting point, point about you know, how we're going to, to live. How do, we, how do we choose to live? And I'm wondering if our, you know, so often, you know, we've seen not just in populist politics, but, uh, you know, any time uh, we see uh, an election at a national level, uh, you know, who's going to lower taxes, someone's anti-subsidies, someone wants to uphold them. And I go back to your point about you know, the Germans, you know, buying a bit more locally uh, and, and certainly that there is, you know, there is a decent supply of, of goods uh, and certainly fresh goods that come from Germany. And you know, I was talking to someone from the U.S. recently um, here in Switzerland and says, oh, I can't believe you know, that people put up with these crazy farm subsidies uh, in Switzerland. But this is a time when you think, I, I mean, I've always been, of course, you know, pro making sure there's lots of fluffy cows in the mountains um, and, and lots of fresh cut hay. That's part of the Swiss brand. But at a time like this, you think actually, and I think it's something like 50% uh, food self-sufficiency here. You're like, thank goodness. So I think also moving forward as well, I think it's going to be very difficult. And we know it's going to get hard. I mean, there's, there's no question you know, are you going to be able to have access to, to blueberries in, in two or three weeks? I, I doubt it. I, I don't think that the, the shelves uh, are going to be overflowing with them or, or the baskets. So if that starts to happen as well, I think, you know, next time out, when we look at future leadership, I think then the contract that we have um, you know, socially with government, with the economy, people think, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm happy to subsidize the farmers and other parts um, of, of the economy with my taxes for moments like this. Mm. Andrew, do you see a change for the better? Will we, for instance, see entrepreneurship completely flourishing and people coming up with wonderfully innovative solutions? Well, I think after the 2008 crash, you saw like loads of people who'd lost their jobs and who were shaken out of different industries, having no other option but to become entrepreneurs. And I think that that will happen here because lots of companies won't get back up on their feet in the way that they were. And many, also many kind of Entrepreneurial businesses that were you know, flourishing just a few weeks ago are going to be badly hit and will have to be remade and reformed. So I think we, we, will, we will see creativity there. And I think that the nature of what the future of, of the offices will change and what the future of work is will change a little bit. And I think that definitely that people will think about keeping their supply chain tighter and closer to home. I hope that we have a discussion about what ends up on the dinner plates of people around the world and what wild animals we think are sensible to eat and not. That's also part of the supply chain. And food security should be a big discussion. I would just say one kind of positive caveat, though. You know, 
when this is all over, I do want to get back out in the world. I want to go and see friends who the connections are down with. I want to be able to give people a hug. I want to see my family. I want to be connected and mobile. I don't think that we'll end up with a generation of people who don't want to leave their homes. I think the opposite, actually, by the end of this, people may be going absolutely stir-crazy and be determined to get out and do things. And I do want to make sure that those key connections are up and running. That's important for Monocle as well. You know, that that's what we're trying to do in these very difficult times. You know, we have this morning newsletter that goes out on the Saturday and Sunday. Sign up at monocle.com. It's Monocle Weekend Edition. And I, I think people want connection. You know, just this morning, just so many people writing in just saying, thank you. I need connection. I need some, some voices. I need, you know, I'm on my own. We're stuck here in the mountains. We're stuck here. So I think we want that connection to come back. Absolutely. How will we celebrate, Tyler? Oh, my goodness. At least, at least that's the, well, I was going to say um, I could certainly throw up in the wine cellar, but that could be very depleted uh, by the time we <laughs> we talk again. Uh, but no, but I have been thinking about that. And listen, we even put, you know, it, was a sad, it was a sad moment this week, Georgina. We had to, you know, we, we shuttered all of our, our, our retail and, effort and, and, and cafe operations. And, you know, we had to just, you know, and, and we put a sign up. But, you know, one of the things we said, you know, in, in brackets, you know, we will be back with, with a big party. So um, it, it won't be on a cruise ship, Quentin, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed uh, for, for coming on to Monocle's House for you. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But thanks to Tyler Brule, to Andrew Tuck and to Quentin Peel. Our supervising producer today was Marcus Hippie and our studio manager was Nora Hull in London and Carlo Schulbersmith in Zurich. I'm Georgina Godwin. Uh, goodbye and enjoy, if you can, the rest of your weekend.